Welcome, and thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com. And now for the message from Pastor Nathan Lang. If you would turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, this is uh, one of my favorite uh, parts of Scripture in the New Testament. It truly is. Uh, and, and the promise that Jesus gives in John chapter number 14 um, I don't know about you, but this has been just uh, one of those weeks, I tell you, from start to finish, it's just been nonstop for me anyway, nonstop from morning to night, and uh, just packed full of stuff, and uh, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak, but, uh, uh, but I'm thankful, I'm thankful that I'm alive, I'm thankful that God gives me the energy to handle things, uh, uh, but you know, it can get exhausting by the time Friday, Saturday gets around, boy, we're just, we're just whooped, and uh, we're just, you know, praying to get through the weekend, and uh, so if you're here, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you made it a priority to come to God's house and, and put the Lord's house first on this Sunday in your life. And uh, that's a blessing. And I, I believe God is honored in that. But John chapter number 14, and uh, let's look in verse number one. The Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And so we have here in this text, we have the, a very, very important promise of God. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says, and when I go to prepare a place for you, I am coming again. Uh, and this is what I want to encourage you with in here this morning. No matter what you face this week, whatever you face at the doctor's office, whatever you face at the, at the workplace, whatever you face at home, whatever, all the way across the board, whatever you're going through, uh, I want to remind you that Jesus is preparing a place. If you've trusted him as your savior, he is preparing a place for you right now as we speak. And, uh, and I'm thankful for that. We have a place. Someone that wants to uh, determine, okay, well, what kind of place is it? He says, uh, my, my King James Bible doesn't say he's provided some rooms. It says he's building a mansion for me. Uh, but the reality is uh, I'll take whatever he provides. I'll be thankful because I'll be in heaven. I'll be with him. And, uh, you know, heaven's not just about us getting to this place uh, that we can just see all of our relatives. Uh, I mean, because I'm serious. Uh, thinking about this, a place that is a place of eternal rest. You ever just been just whooped, just tired, beat, you can't put another paw in front of the other, and you just think about, you know, I just, I can't, I can't hit another lick, and I don't know what I'm going to do from here. Uh, I'm just so tired. You're tired of work. You're tired of life. Well, I'll tell you right now that one day we are going to take our last breath this side of heaven, and we are going to wake up in a perfect, sinless place called heaven. Uh, and, and praise the Lord, we're going to get to see some of our loved ones there. That is, that is true, those who have trusted Christ. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, we're going to get to see, yes, we're going to get to see Jesus, and that is a huge, but we're going to see God the Father. And I think sometimes we downplay God the Father. The Bible says that in heaven right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of who? God the Father. Without the Father, there would be no Son. And so I'm, I'm telling you, uh, it's going to be an exciting reunion because it's going to be at that moment uh, when we stand before him uh, that, that everything's going to be made right. We're not going to have all the troubles that we've had to face down here on earth anymore. We're not going to face the, all, all the sin, all the heartache, all the pain, all the tears. All that's going to be wiped away someday and we're going to be in his presence. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. But here's, here's the thing. Uh, I want to encourage you. Uh, I want to give you almost two boosts in here tonight or this morning. Uh, 
the first boost is simply uh, that whatever you're going through, just mark it down. It's a season. And one of these days, God is going to, it's going to be all made right. We're going, to, uh, we're going to be in heaven someday. And, you know, everything we face back here, we're going to look back and say, that was really nothing, you know, in the big, the big picture of things. But can I say that the reality is we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to have peace. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to have this, this serenity, if, if you will. Uh, we can have that right now through Jesus Christ and his finished work, what he did for us. Uh, but also, here, here's, here's the thing. We're going to stand before God someday, and uh, there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ, and there's going to be a great white throne judgment. I'm going to talk about those here in just a few moments, uh, but here's the deal. Uh, one of these judgments where if you're lost, you're going to stand before God, and you're going to have to give an account for your life and for your sin. But the other one, you're going to stand before God and you're not going to give an account for one single sin you've ever committed because Jesus paid for that on the cross of Calvary. And I thank the Lord uh, for that promise, that we have the promise uh, of heaven and that I'm not going to stand. You real, I, I think sometimes we miss this, that the reality is that we just go around here like we're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. And I understand that statement, but, but here, here's the deal. When God looks at us, he doesn't look at us as a bunch of sinners saved by grace. He looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are just as righteous as he is. Whoa. Whoa. Isn't that amazing? But why do we settle for living subpar Christian lives? Why do we settle for living a life uh, that's less than what God could have us do? You know why? Because Satan has convinced us that we're just a bunch of worthless sinners who can do nothing. Now, I'm not trying to give you a big head in here this morning. I don't want you to walk around all puffed up like you're something, uh, because compared to God, we're not. But with God, we're more than conquerors. With God, we have citizenship in heaven. With God, there's some promises that we have through uh, the word of God. And so uh, it's amazing when Jesus, he stands up and he says, all right, now listen, guys, I got to get ready to go. He said, I've done everything I was supposed to do. Uh, and he's getting ready to depart. He says, but there, here, here's the promise. Uh, I don't want you just hanging on until Jesus comes. I am coming back, coming back again, but I want you to stay busy for me. I want you to serve me. I want you to tell others about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it saves. Because here, here's the thing. We can go out when, I, when, I, when, you're, when you're in the airport. They have so many self-help books in the bookstores. When you go in, if, how many of you have ever been to an airport? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, how many of you have gone to one of the stores in the airport? Okay. Uh, you're with me here. Uh, well, when you go in there, they've got the, all these books. And most of them are how to be a better you and how to, how to conquer your financial struggles and all this sort of stuff. And there's all these self-help uh, books. And let me say, uh, there's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. But if you're trying to find help outside of Jesus Christ, it will lead to naught. Because he is who saves. He is who helps us. He is our sustenance. He is our strength. He is our power. Uh, and if we're going to accomplish anything, we cannot do it in our own flesh. We've got to have him. So if we're operating outside of the Holy Spirit's power, then we're operating. The only other default is to operate in our flesh. And that's not what God desires for us. But you know what? We, because of maybe a lack of character, maybe because of laziness, maybe because we're just, just too tired, as I mentioned a little bit ago, we don't operate all the time in the power of the Holy Spirit. We settle for less than God's best. Can I say that you're better than that? You're a child of the King. 
You, you don't need to live in defeat. You don't need to live in discouragement. This is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to give you a spiritual shot in the arm this morning to say, hey, wake up. Let's get busy. Let's get serving. Let's get, hey, how about this one? Let's get living for the Lord. Somewhere along the way, we've let, we've let Satan and his helpers, and he comes sometimes in many different forms, uh, he, uh, to, to discourage us and to keep us in the gutter. Oh, I tell you what, some people woke up this morning and they said, oh, it's going to be rainy and dreary, so I'm not even going to leave today. There are literally people all over Cincinnati who are still sitting in bed because they just felt it wasn't worth getting up and going today. Now, listen, maybe you've been there. Maybe that was you. Maybe your wife had to kick you and roll you out of that bed. I don't know. Praise God she did. But you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way. You can live in the power of Christ. There was a Gallup, uh, a George Gallup uh, survey that was performed back in the early 2000s and it showed that more than 62% of Americans believe that Jesus Christ will return literally to earth. What's strangely sad is that the same survey indicated that only 40% of Americans claimed at that time claimed to have been born again through Jesus Christ. So 22% more of our neighbors believe Christ's return than are ready to meet him when he does return. A lot of people say, oh, I believe that Christ is coming again, but they're not ready to meet him. They're not ready. Can I say this? You might be born again. You might be a saved child of God in here this morning, but you may not be ready to meet him. Now, I said the first, the first, the first uh, point that I really had for you this morning was the fact that Jesus is coming again, uh, that one day all of these things are going to be wiped away and we're going to be in his presence and everything is going to be the way it needs to be. Uh, but the second shot that I have for you this morning as I'm getting right into is this. You need to be ready for when you stand before him. Because as I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, if you're saved, you're not going to stand before him and give an account for one single sin, but we will stand before him and give an account for our stewardship of our lives and how we ran this race, this race, this race called life. And you know, I don't want to stand before him and be considered an unprofitable servant. I don't want to stand before him uh, and, uh, and be ashamed because uh, I didn't do anything for him. I'm not saying that I didn't do a ton of stuff. I mean that I did nothing for him. I did nothing to advance the kingdom of God. I did nothing to learn more about, his, about, about the works of God. I just simply lived this life to feed my flesh and to do what I want to do. You know, there's a lot of prophecy in Scripture, and Isaiah 46 and verse 9 says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth uh, my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. You know, the expression, it shall come to pass, uh, occurs approximately 120 times in the Bible. And the second coming of Jesus Christ is mentioned eight times more frequently in the Bible than his first coming. His second coming is mentioned 318 times in the New Testament and is discussed by every New Testament writer. Hey, Jesus is coming again. 
He, hey, he, he's not leaving us here, folks. And if there's one doctrine uh, that I don't believe gets preached um, uh, uh, as much anymore, uh, and I think that it partly is why our, our, you know, everybody's saying, oh, we're leading into the apostasy age. And, and listen to me now. I believe that things will get worse and worse. Uh, but here's the key. I think sometimes we Christians, listen to me now, we Christians have lost sight of the fact that Jesus is coming again, like he said, uh, and that he's not going to leave us here. Hey, we've got a promise. We've got a hope that, hey, this world may get worse and worse, but the reality is, hey, we've got the promise to, to look forward to. You know, that's what I miss about my grandparents. I remember my grandpa, he was always living in a conscious state of the fact that Jesus was coming to get him again someday. Can I say that we must live in that state? No wonder we get discouraged because we have no hope. You know, the Bible talks about having no hope in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talks about having no hope. 1 Thessalonians talks about, chapter 4 talks about uh, a hope. Titus talks about uh, that blessed hope that's come. Hey, can I say that we Christians, sometimes we get discouraged because we have nothing to hope for. Can I say that we have the answer? We have Jesus Christ. We have something to live for. We have something to look forward to. And his name is Jesus. So why do we live in this discouraged state all the time? You're only going to heaven forever. Your father is only the creator of the universe. No big deal. <laughs> oh, I didn't get what I wanted. Came home and went off on your spouse for not recording your favorite show. Oh, I'm hitting home now. Oh, I'm meddling. Get all upset because you didn't get your 50 cent raise. Hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God is still on the throne. <laughs> I've read that there's over a thousand passages of Scripture that when first written were prophetic in nature. Half of those have already been fulfilled. And the evidence should, should give us confidence that the prophecies yet to be fulfilled will come to pass. Listen to me now, in God's timing. In God's timing. I've heard, I've heard this said many times. Well, all the prophecies have been fulfilled. There's nothing keeping Jesus from coming back. Okay, you don't have proof of that. Be careful saying that. When Jesus is ready to come back, when God is ready, Jesus said, hey, I don't know, the Father knows. Hey, when he says it's time to go, it's time to go. Uh, and let me say this, when God is ready to send the Son to rally up the troops, say, all right, now, Gabe, get that trumpet sound. Hey, let's get ready for this thing. Hey, when God is ready, he'll be good and well ready. Hey, we don't need to try to rush it. We don't need to try to determine when that's going to be. We just need to simply live right now as if it's going to be today. If it's going to be today. I mean, you think about that. Hear that trumpet sound and we're all caught up today. Oh man, I tell you what, what an exciting thing. But here, here's part of the problem. There's, there's a group of people in our, in our world that are living that he's coming today and so they don't do anything. I mean, literally, Jesus is coming back, so why even go out and tell people? Why even serve? Why even do anything? Because he's coming back. He's going to come back today. Hey, we believe that, but the reality is, he said, hey, I'm coming back, but you don't know when it's going to be, and so you better just stay busy. You better stay busy. I'll tell you right now, I would much rather uh, be caught up in the clouds, uh, knocking on a door, telling somebody about Christ, than sitting on my couch, flipping through the television. Yeah, preacher, you're done meddling now. Come on. <laughs> you know, the Lord instructed Israel regarding the liability of his prophecies. He wanted them, he warned them 
uh, about what's to come. He, he, warned, he warned them about false prophets. He explained to them that prophecies would be proven 100% accurate and fulfilled. And he commanded them to reject any prophets who were not accurate. And I say there are a lot of false prophets today. There's a lot of people. There's this, there's this preacher. He, he's going all around. I, I'm on Twitter, and he's, I don't even know his name, but he's, he's, he's on there, and he is preaching things, and he's passionate, and he's got fervency when he preaches. But if you listen to the doctrine, he sounds good when he talks because he believes what he's saying, but everything he's saying is not scriptural. And people are picking him apart. That's false. You know, um, I think there's a good thing. The Bible talks about the Berean church searching the scriptures daily, whether those were, things were so. I believe there should be an accountability, and this has nothing to do with my message. I'll just throw it in there for free. I believe there should be an accountability from the preacher in the pulpit to the people in the pew. Hey, if I say something that doesn't match up, hey, go home like the Berean church, research that thing, and come back and say, preacher, I don't see where you get this. Can I say that doesn't offend me at all? That doesn't offend me at all. I remember the one time I got up in the pulpit and I said, it's never wrong to lie. And I even said it again. I said it right. It's never wrong to lie. And I meant to say it's wrong to lie, but for some reason it came out the wrong way. And, and, and I didn't get it. People were snickering. And, I, and later that day they came back and said, preacher, you know what you said? And my wife, of course, she'll, she got me. She's like, do you, do you know what you said? I said, I said, what did I say? I, evidently I said something wrong. She said, you, you said it's never wrong to lie. And I tell you, I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. You know, it's little things like that can happen sometimes, but there's a difference in, in messing up and reverting some words and just flat out preaching false doctrine. We've established that God has the ability to accurately prophesy the future. <clears throat> you know, it's amazing to me with all of the writers of the Scripture, over the course of thousands of years, it's amazing to me, over, over a thousand years of these people writing and all 66 canonized of the scripture coming together, how all of these writers were able to write and how all of this book just, 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 just flows. There are no mistakes. There are no errors. Uh, listen, you cannot, you take 50 people writing the Bible and having this thing uh, be, be doctrinally accurate and, and just being accurate, period, and, and, and flowing, uh, you say, oh, okay, big deal. You can't get two people to agree on anything. You can't. You husband and wives, let me start a fight right now. You husband and wives, you will argue when you leave here over where you're going to stop to get a bite to eat, won't you? So, honey, what do you want? Um, I don't care. What do you want? Doesn't matter. I'm telling you, my wife and I never get into fights. I mean, we don't, we don't fight and, be, you know, I just let her yell at me. I don't fight. I, but no, no, no. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. She'll get me later for that. I'm teasing. But if there's one thing, we, we'll, we'll sit there. I mean, that's how spoiled we are in our country, isn't it? Where, where, where do you want to go? You want to go to Wendy's? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, let's go to, uh, and I'll get her there. Okay, we're going to White Castle then because she doesn't like White Castle. And uh, you can only go to White Castle like once a year. You know, that's just, that's just where that's at. And, uh, and uh, okay, we'll go to White Castle. And then she says, okay, fine, that's where we'll go. And I know she doesn't mean it. And I'm like, because <laughs> if I go through that, if I go through, if I, we go to White Castle, she's not eating anything. She's going to sit there. Guys, if you want to get revenge on your wife, you go get you a 10 sack of White Castles <laughs> with cheese extra onion. I'm joking. Oh man, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm going to get in trouble. Let's move on. Let's move on. You know, 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I, I, I referenced this just a little bit ago. The Bible does not use the word, we're going to be raptured out of here, but we, we have adopted that word, raptured. But the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15, you can turn there or you just want to write the reference down. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I love that promise. I absolutely love it. We're going to see Jesus, listen to me now, face to face. And heaven, by the way, uh, I'm not going to get into all of it this morning because I've already given this in, in, in years past, uh, but, but the dimensions of heaven... Heaven is going to be a cubed city, 1,500 miles cubed. And uh, if there's Bible said there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And, uh, and, and praise God uh, that all this thing, everything you see here is going to be burned up one day. Uh, all sin is going to be wiped out. Uh, Satan is going to be cast uh, into outer darkness. A lot of people say, uh, uh, you know, uh, talk about that place called hell. There is a place called hell, but the reality is death and hell are going to be cast into where? Outer darkness someday. But there is something that we call the rapture where Jesus is coming back to get us. You know, when, I, when we perform a wedding, uh, when I perform a wedding and, and, and we have people come up onto the stage, and I've given this before, I won't spend much time on this, uh, but uh, when, when I say, who gives so-and-so to be the bride of so-and-so, and they say, her, you know, her, her mother and I, and then I'll tell the groom, I say, all right, now go get your bride. Uh, hey, that, that's symbolic of Christ coming back. That is the rapture in a wedding. And the man goes down, and he gets his bride, <laughs> and they go off, and guess what? They come together, they form a covenant, and then what happens? They go off to that honeymoon, and praise God, there's going to be a feast someday. Amen. This passage in 1 Thessalonians that I just read you explains that all those who have received Christ as their Savior will be, as the Bible says, caught up together. The Bible says in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, if you know anything about the twinkling of an eye, it's before you can blink. So in other words, before you can even blink your eyes, the Bible says we're all going to raise up uh, out of here, uh, and I'm so thankful. Hey, that'll be the way to go, amen? amen? That'll be the way to go. And he says in Titus chapter 2, and verse 13, he calls it the blessed hope uh, of the believer uh, that one day he's coming back and his return is imminent. It's at any time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Mrs. Jackson joked that that's the, the light verse of the nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> Some of them just got that, Mrs. Jackson. And um, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I'm not talking about the church service. We shall not all sleep. I'm talking, you know, uh, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. We shall be changed. But you know what there's going to be? The Bible, I mentioned this a little bit ago. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's going to be what's called the judgment seat. The Bible says in, 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We as Christians uh, will give an account for our lives to Christ, and this is referred to as uh, the judgment seat of Christ. 
You're going to stand before him. We're going to give an account. You know, uh, that really hit home with me one time. I was sitting uh, at my home church. I was, uh, I was uh, just a teenager. And I remember my pastor, Oscar Cox, preaching. Uh, and I remember him uh, saying, uh, one of these days, he said, I'm going to give an account for every idle word. He said, one of these days, I'm going to give an account of, of, of how I pastored this church. And I tell you what, I never really thought of that until I became a pastor. And I start thinking, hey, the responsibility that comes uh, with pastoring a church, I'm going to give an account for it someday. Why did you bring that up? Hey, because sometimes you're not going to like how the music is here, but you're not going to stand before God for it someday. I am. And you may not like how soft I preach or how hard I preach, but you're not going to stand before God and give an account for my preaching someday. I am. And you may not like how things are run or how we buy this or how we do that, but guess what? You're not going to give an account for that someday. I am. And I don't take it lightly. This judgment seat, hey, don't, don't, don't be too discouraged. This judgment seat, it's a rewards judgment, similar to what takes place at the conclusion of an athletic event in the Olympics. You're going to be rewarded. You know, the Bible says we're going to be rewarded for the things we do. There's different crowns in the Bible that are going to be distributed during that time. You know, the judgment seat's going to right all the wrongs. It's going to settle all the scores. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to settle everything. But then there's going to be seven years of tribulation on the earth. Matthew 24 and verse 21 says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever will be. While Christians are enjoying the, their marriage uh, to Christ and the reward ceremony, uh, a, a terrible period of time is going to be happening here on earth called the tribulation. Now, I'm not going to go into all the doctrine of it, but there's, there's pre-tribbers, there's mid-tribbers, there's post-tribbers. There's people who believe we're going to be raptured out of here before the tribulation. That's me. I believe that. There's people who believe you're going to be raptured out of here in the middle of the tribulation in that three and a half years. And then there's a group of people that believes you're going to be raptured at the end. And uh, we, we are pre-trib. I love what my wife's preacher, uh, uh, Rick Fox, said. He said, I'm so pre-trib, I don't even eat post-toasties. And, and, uh, now, he's going pretty far back for post-toasties. I never even ate post-toasties. <laughs> I say, I'm so pre-trib, I don't even eat post-cereal. But that's a lie because I love me some Cocoa Pebbles. Anyway, <laughs> I can't have them, but I like them. There's going to be seven years of tribulation. And during that time, you, 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 I tell you what, those of you who go to haunted houses, you, you have no clue what a true haunted house is going to be until that, that tribulation. After that first three and a half years, the Bible says this ground's going to open up and there is going to be uh, demons and, and you name it, turn loose on this earth and it is going to be a horrible, horrible time. Can I encourage you in here today to trust Christ? Now, here, if, if you haven't, here's the thing. Everybody, uh, not everybody, a lot of people like to, like to argue over pre, mid, and, and post. Uh, the reality is there's nothing you can do either way. You can argue that he's coming mid-tribulation. Hey, there's nothing you're going to do to change when he's coming back. I believe it's, it's before, the, uh, before, the, uh, before the tribulation. Uh, but here's the deal. All I know I can do is trust Christ and trust him with my life. Say, so I'll wait. I'll wait to get saved. You say, do people really do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll live my life how I want, and then when I'm good, well, and ready on my deathbed, I'll call upon Jesus. Hey, you're not promised tomorrow. 
How many times you been out? We were, we were, there was, a, there was a, a death on the expressway not too long ago when I was praising the Lord that we were not in that lane. But here's the thing. As we rode past, boy, uh, they closed it down just afterwards. We started praying, Lord, please, be, I, I, my desire for them to be saved. I can't pray them into heaven now. But, oh, Lord, I tell you what, be with their family. And I, and I, was, I start praying for the family to be able to come to Christ as a result of that death. Because here's the deal. Once you take your last breath, it's too late. There's, there, there's, no, there's no getting a you know, get-out-of-hell-free card. Once you take your last breath, that's it. It's the end. But you know what? After the, There's going to be a glorious appearing of Jesus Christ with his people. Matthew 24 and verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then uh, shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, and power and glory and great glory. Well, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I'm not going to be here during that time. I, I've, I had somebody arguing with me over, over the, the return of Christ. And I said, yeah, if you want to be here during the, the tribulation, you can. I'm not. The Bible talks in Revelation chapter 20 about the millennial kingdom on earth. Revelation 20 and verse 4, and I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw uh, the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither uh, had received his mark upon their foreheads or, or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Jesus will personally rule the earth during this thousand year period. Alongside of him, his followers. <laughs> Praise God for that. You don't know how to ride a horse, you better get ready. Here's one of my favorite parts. There's the final judgment of Satan in Revelation 20 and verse 7. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up to the breadth of the earth and, com and uh, compassed the, uh, the camp of the saints about. And the beloved city and fire came down from heaven out of, he uh, out of uh, excuse me, from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. At the conclusion of the thousand-year reign of Christ, the devil will be turned loose for a brief season only to gather a rebellious army and to form one final revolt. One final revolt. This army will be devoured by fire in heaven, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 9. And its leader, Satan, will be once and for all cast into the lake of fire. You see, he, he, he's, he's, he's got some freedom right now, but he doesn't have any more freedom that God's allowed him to have. But then there's the great white throne judgment. Great white throne judgments for the unsaved. Let's look at it real quick. Revelation 20 and verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, uh, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. 
And the sea gave up their dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, it's either you've trusted Christ or you haven't. There is no fill my name in. There is no I'll talk my way through this. It's simply put, your name's either in that book or it's not. I don't care how smooth of a talker you are. I don't care how, 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 how uh, suave you think you are. Uh, it's not going to work when you stand before God. Only unsafe people will stand before the great white throne judgment. The judgment will be when God assigns their final sentence and it will, it will be a tragic day. It will be a tragic day when they realize that this is it. This is it. Not only are they cast into the lake of fire, outer darkness, but listen to me now. Separation from God for eternity. Separation from God for eternity. And here's the deal. It didn't have to be. It didn't have to be. Then it's the beginning of eternity and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 verses 1 and 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the earth, uh, for, excuse me, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Now, I have my own theory on verse number four on why there's crying, but I'm not going to give it because I can't prove it. But uh, if you want to see me sometime, I'd love to talk to you about it. But the book of Revelation concludes with a great promise for every believer, an eternity to live forever with God. An eternity. Eternity with the one who created me, with the one who died for me, forever. Now, mind you, we're going to live forever in this perfect place, just like we are now, but without sin. Just like we are with, hey, we're not going to be some holograms that are just, just floating on a cloud or, or sitting, you know, in the, and all that. Hey, no, no, that's not it. I'm sorry, but despite what you may have been taught, but you're not going to turn into an angel when you, get, when you go to heaven. That's not how it works. Angels are created beings that God created. Amen. He didn't create you to be an angel. He created you to be a human being. Amen. I know some of you are sitting there right now. I don't care what you say. I'm an angel. <laughs> no, you're not. You know, what, you know what the second coming of Christ, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up here. The second coming of Christ, uh, it, it, it gives us hope. Yes. Hope. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, don't sorrow as, uh, as those who have no hope. We, we shouldn't be sitting around here all discouraged and sorrowful and, and, and depressed and, and what's going to happen. Hey, I know who holds tomorrow. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Hey, today, it may not have started out how you wanted it to. You may have, well, uh, be honest, uh, I went to bed last night. I've got this sinus thing going on. And I tell you what, mine, it feels like somebody punched me in the face, right in the nose. I mean, it, it hurts. But you know what? Uh, that's nothing compared to eternity. Sure, you've got some problems right now. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I was talking with, with an amputee just the other day. And I tell you what, if, if, if somebody longs to look for heaven... <laughs> To get a glorified body, it's somebody who's an amputee. And I told this person, I said, just think about it, who has a profession of faith. I said, so think about it. One day you're going to get a brand new body. 
You're not going to have to deal with all those issues anymore. Oh, they said, I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, you may be in that state right now. Oh, I just can't wait to get to heaven. Well, no, listen to me now. You can wait. God, God, God will bring you when he's ready. God will bring you home when he's ready. Say, oh, what if I, what if I don't go in the rapture? What if, I, what if I die naturally? Hey, it's okay. It's okay. Amen. If you know where you're going, if you, if you put your faith in Christ, it's okay. I don't give you a false hope there. The reality is, church, I want us to have a, a, an uncomfortableness about where we stand with telling others about Christ. I don't want us to be comfortable. I, I want us to realize in here that everyone is going to die and go somewhere. Yeah. Everyone. Every soul. Every soul. You know, it'd be good It'd be good if we would put some strategy, some strategy to serving the Lord. You know, it'd be good if we put some strategy to telling others about Christ. How many of you work with other people? Raise your hand. You work with other people. All right, there you go. You've got some people that you can connect with. Now, I'm not telling you to do it and get in trouble at work, but you know what? You can make opportunities. Amen. Hey, you know, you're a guy to another guy. Hey, let's get lunch together. There you go. You've got 30 minutes to tell them about Christ. Cost you an $8 meal. Tell somebody about Christ. Not too bad, is it? How about your neighbors? How about your neighbors? We have personally, and, I, and I, you say, oh, you're just doing this because you've already done it. No, uh, we have personally set out to all of our surrounding neighbors as a starting point to tell others about Christ. I've got a book, and I can't remember the author, but I, I bought it a couple years ago. It's called The Art of Neighboring. And it talks in that book about being a neighbor where you're going after your neighbors and telling them about Christ. You know, I don't push it on any of them. I've got a Catholic neighbor and they made sure to tell me that they are Catholic and they are fine in their church where they are. And that was before I even tried to, to witness to them. You know what I did? I didn't get in their face and say, well, listen, you're going to listen to what I have to say because you're going to hell. No, it's not what I did. I've got to live next to them. You know what I've done through the years? I've built relationship. I didn't go in there and blow it out of the water and blow the opportunity to tell them about Christ. But relationship with them where I consider it, and I've had opportunities where I was able to interject the gospel into conversation. Have they gotten saved, that particular neighbor? No, but you know what? I've planted seeds. And you know, they're going to know who to come to if they want some spiritual questions. Amen. But you know what? I'm not mean to them. I don't tell them, get, get your dog on your I don't scream at them for their dog coming on my lawn and going to the bathroom. I just pick it up and chuck it back up. No, I don't, no. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. I'm kind. I'm patient. You know, I, I remember telling somebody, you need to witness to your neighbor. And they, got, they said, nope, 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 nope. I said, I said you're, a, you're rebellious here. They said, no, I can't because I've blown it. I've blown my testimony. I've went off on them. I said, oh, well, you may have blown that situation, but you know what you need to do? You need to walk over there with a plate of brownies, apologize to yeah. them, yeah. swallow your pride, be humble, say, hey, I didn't handle this right. I, I, pray, I pray that you won't hold that to my charge. <laughs> Let me give you an illustration of this, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I will close. Um, Dr. Gibbs, I was with him not too long ago, and he talks about how he had to get on a plane at, 
at about, he had to be at the airport at like four in the morning. And he gets on the airport, he, he goes in and they said, hey, uh, looking at your points, we have a brand new plane that we want you to fly on. And they said, it's, you're going to give you so many flyer miles, it's free, all that. And he said, wow, I'll try this. So he goes in there and he looks at the seat. Now, if you're a guy, I'm 6'4", 200, none of your business pounds. And when I walk in and I look at a plane seat, I'm just like, I don't know who they're making these for, but they're not human. And, uh, and so Dr. Gibbs walks in there and he says, he said, that's the most ridiculous puny seat I've ever seen. And the, and the woman looked at him, you know, Dr. Gibbs, she said, well, you can lose weight, you know. And, and he, said, uh, he said, yeah, and you couldn't get any uglier. <laughs> he, no, this is verbatim. This is what he taught. He said, he said he looked at her and said, lady, you are by far the most cosmetically challenged woman I have ever met. And she ran off crying. And he said, here I am. I'm an attorney for Jesus Christ. Circling the, getting ready to go preach to some people. He said, he went up to her and he took a gospel track out, pulled the gospel track and said, uh, Ma'am, I just want to apologize. He said, my faith forbids me to do what I just did. Will you forgive me? And uh, she said, uh, no one's ever done that before. And they get a lot of nasty people on those planes. He said the flight was over. He, he, they had landed and they went back to, uh, he, was get, he got up, he was getting ready to walk out and he looks up in the front and there's that woman to the, to the captain and says, there he is, that's the man right there. He said, oh, he said, I'm going to jail. And... Uh, <laughs> He said the pilot walked up to him and said, I heard what happened. And he just, Dr. Gibbs hung his head and he said, he said, I'm so sorry. He said, uh, yeah, brother, Mr. Gibbs, he said, but, he said, you messed it up. He said, but you landed well. You landed well. You know, there may be somebody you need to tell about Christ, but you've blown it. Can I say, go to him and, hey, my faith forbids me to act the way I did. I'm sorry. How many of you have ever lost your cool with somebody before? Oh, yeah. We've done it. We've done it. Apologize to them. Don't let them die and go to hell because you're too prideful to swallow your pride and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jesus is coming again. We've got hope. We've got a promise. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon from Lighthouse Baptist Church. For more information about our ministry, go to lbccincy.com.